Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. So this morning I'm uh, preaching this message called Moving from Fear to Faith. Key text is from Luke 1 and 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried uh, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. So right throughout the Old Testament, there had been the anticipation of this moment. There had been this great expectation that was anticipated, that was prophesied about. It was etched in Israel's future history that would come a Messiah for God's people. So there was this air of great expectancy. But interestingly, when Jesus the Messiah was born, those who were most expectant for his coming actually missed it. John 1 and 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So why did the Jewish people miss the coming of the promised Messiah, even though they lived their whole lives in eager anticipation of his coming? Well, I I think we can scratch our head at that, but history gives us a few clues. Because for 800 years leading up to this point, Israel had, had lived under incredible oppression. First of all, under the uh, rule of the Babylonians. Uh, Then following them came the Assyrians, then the Persians, then the Greeks. And just before the birth of Jesus, uh, the the great superpower of the day was, was the Romans. And so this expectation amongst the Jewish people towards the Messiah 
was one of a military leader who would finally liberate them, finally free them, uh, give them back their authority and release them uh, from this oppression that they had been under. So they were expecting that the Messiah would be a great military leader who with military might and force would overthrow the government and establish uh, uh, Israel's autonomy again and establish their government. Now, interestingly, because of that, Jesus didn't fit the bill. He didn't fit the mold. So they missed it. Now, I don't want us to be too hard on them this morning because I think there are many times where God's people today um, do the same thing in our own way. And that is, when we are faced with a great need, or when we confront a problem, or when we sense things around us aren't quite the way that I want them to be, we then mould God to the shape of what the answer to that need looks like, and then we expect God to meet the need, that particular need, in the way that we think God should meet that particular need. And sometimes, in fact, I would suggest often, God doesn't conform to our expectation. So it's kind of like we treat God a little bit like a genie in a lamp. That you know, We rub the lamp, the genie pops out and says, what's your wish? Well, God, I've got this problem. This is the way that I think you should fix it. And when God doesn't, we get a little bit disappointed and a little bit disillusioned, not because God's let us down, but because we've held on to wrong expectations about how God answers our prayers. Are you with me? I, I, I once had someone, uh, and I've shared this before, but we were a small group of people praying for somebody who was quite ill. And in the midst of praying for this person, I prayed, God, in this situation, we ask that your will be done. Now, when we left that praying for that person, I, I, I actually uh, got criticized quite harshly from two of the people in this group because they claimed that me praying God your will be done was a lack of faith because in this circumstance we should know what God's will is. Uh, and uh, I would like to counter that by suggesting that when we pray the will of God, Father, your will be done. It's actually the greatest expression of faith. Father, your will be done. Because as people of faith, we need to surrender completely to God's agenda, not somehow feel that we can conform God to our agenda, if that makes sense. And again, Jesus' own people missed him because he didn't meet the criteria of their agenda. Jesus wasn't born as a military leader. Again, John 1 and 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus did not conform to their expectations. But then one day in the town of Nazareth, a little town in the north of, of the nation of Israel, there is this young girl called Mary, and out of nowhere... This angel appears to her. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. 
Now, it is really interesting that when the angel greets Mary, when he appears to Mary, one of the first things he says to her is, do not be afraid. Why was that? And we automatically think, well, it's an angel, appears out of nowhere and speaks. Uh, That would cause anybody to be afraid. But I, I wonder, whilst I think that would have been quite overwhelming... I think as this plays out, we discover, I think, that the scariest thing is not the angel's appearance, but the angel's message. You see, Luke records Mary's fear because the message the angel brought to her from every human perspective was totally impossible. Mary... You're going to give birth to a son. But I'm not even married. How can I give birth to a son? And her natural response was fear. And friends, can I encourage you this morning? It is neither uncommon nor is it wrong when God approaches us to be afraid when he speaks. You see, right through the Bible, when God speaks, people's response is often fear, not because it is God speaking, but the fear comes out of the nature of what it is that God is saying. And in fact, this story in Luke chapter 1 is the story of two pregnancies. And we did look at this a little bit in the God Can series. One is Mary's pregnancy and the other is her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, Uh, She would be the mother of John the Baptist. That's the baby she was carrying. Mary's problem is that she's too young. She's this unmarried virgin. Elizabeth's problem is that she was too old and, in fact, she was barren. But her husband, Zechariah, also had an angel appear to him. Luke 1 and 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to name him John. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. So here we have in these two pregnancies, Mary, whose circumstances had to do with her youth, and Elizabeth, who had in effect, past her use-by date as far as uh, childbearing, but we understand she was barren anyway. So the message that this angel brings to these two women is an impossibility from a human perspective. And friends, this is why that prayer, God, your will be done, is the ultimate expression of faith because we are then in that position surrendering to an agenda that is not our agenda, it's not our thinking, it's not our understanding. It is a supernatural agenda. It is the agenda of God. And friends, when God speaks to us, God rarely speaks to us about things that are humanly possible. God rarely speaks to us about things that are humanly possible because we actually don't need God to achieve what we can do in our own strength and ability. So when God speaks to us, and let me qualify if you're wondering about who are these wacky people that God speaks to them. I've never heard the audible voice of God in my life, 
But as I walk intimately in a relationship with a living God, as I ask Jesus into my life, his Holy Spirit takes up residency in me. This is this God filling, this God void within me. And that presence of God within me gives me these deep promptings and this sense of I know God is speaking to me, giving me wisdom, giving me insight, giving me understanding, giving me direction, giving me conviction, giving me counsel. That's the role of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what we mean when we say we hear God speak to us. And he speaks to us often about things that are way outside of our experience, things that are way outside of our expertise, things that are way outside of our comfort zone. And I love the fact that as I have tapped people on the shoulder in regards to community mentoring for next year, the vast majority have thought, wow, oh, what, are you, what are you tapping me on the shoulder for? Feeling, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's, I'm out of my comfort zone, but as we unpack that, so many of you said, you know what, that's so cool and something's resonating within me. You can put my name on the list. And I love that because God often reveals to us things that come out of the blue, things that are absolutely, totally unexpected, things that are sometimes way outside of our comfort zone. So friends, here's the question. What is your response when God speaks to you? When God gives you that prompting, when God gives you a vision, when God gives you clear direction, when God gives you clear instruction, what is your response? Do you respond in fear? I hope you do. I hope you do. And this is part of the lesson of this morning because if God gives you an instruction that can only be accomplished by his Holy Spirit, it will require faith to do what is beyond your capacity to do. And so there is fear, there is trepidation. When God puts something before you, it's okay to feel fearful about it. But the choice that we have to make is, I can live my whole life in the realm of what is normal, what is predictable, what is humanly possible, the circumstances that I can control, the circumstances that I can direct, everything about my life being clearly understood and explained in human terms. We can live on that level or we can live on a level where we begin to commit ourselves to do the things that only God can accomplish. And I don't know why you would want to live any other way. Things that would seem impossible to us. And I want to suggest that what sets the genuine Christian apart is not that they're in church every week, but that there are things about their life that clearly demonstrate the fact that God is at work within them. Can I hear an amen? Yes, I didn't hear an amen. Oh, thank you. You see, here's the thing. If there is nothing about our lives that needs a divine explanation, then there is absolutely nothing that differentiates us from any of our neighbors around us who do not know God. And as far as they're concerned, we simply have different interests to them. We have different hobbies. They like fishing and golf, and you have your hobby. You go to church. That's your hobby. Friends, the very essence of our faith is a reaching beyond ourselves and our resources to plug into the supernatural resources of God. And then when God reaches into our lives, there is always going to be a certain level of fear that accompanies that. 
because what God requires of us always takes great faith. So when God spoke to Abraham, for example, at the age of 65, at the age of 75, he was married to Sarah, who was 65. They'd been married for years and years and years, but they had no children. Again, Sarah was barren. The Bible actually describes her unkindly as being worn out. The Bible describes Abraham unkindly as being as good as dead. So they're not healthy specimens. Genesis 15 and 5, God took him outside and said, Look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, I want to back up on that story because there is something familiar at the start of this dialogue with God. Verse 1, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Don't be afraid. Why? Because this is not something that you have to accomplish in your human capacity. This is something that I accomplish, something that I will do through you. But what it does require is your faith and your obedience. And you see this theme repeated time and time and time and time again right throughout the Word of God. Friends, do you know 365 times in the Bible it says, fear not or do not be afraid. That's one for every day of the year. So God wants us to live with this constant understanding that here is this command and it's repeated so often because it is a reality for the Christian. Fear is a reality for the Christian. In fact, I would suggest a healthy fear is a huge part of our faith walk. But we must move from fear to that place of faith. We cannot let fear cripple us. The moment fear cripples us, the devil robs what it is that God wants to accomplish in and through you. God would say, I know what I am asking you to do is scary. I know that it's daunting, but I'm asking you to trust me to reach out in faith and obedience and move beyond your fear to faith. Because here's the reality. If fear wasn't an issue for us, then we would just deal with everything in our own natural resources. I can do this myself. I'm not afraid of it. And that's why Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that word fear translated there, it's a bigger picture. It's not being afraid of God. It's having this healthy knowledge of God, this, this sense of awe, this righteous sense of fear, this, this nervousness that says, when I walk with God, I, I, I am walking on the precipice of the supernatural, that God is drawing me into something that is so much bigger than me. And so the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's this enlightenment that, you know, I, I was walking in darkness, restricted and constricted and limited to my human understanding, and my human achievement and, and relying upon my own resources. And I crossed that line of faith into the supernatural presence of God. And it's like everything comes alive. 
and, and it's huge and it's big and it's exciting and there's anticipation, but there's also this fear that says, wow, I, I, I just got to trust God right now. And friends, it is the most exciting, exciting ride. Because whenever we are faced with a situation that in the natural makes us afraid, we have to then look for resources beyond what is natural. This is the faith journey. Because the faith journey causes us to look beyond ourselves. The faith journey causes us to look to God and elevate our thinking, elevate our understanding, elevate our expectation towards our wonderful, loving, supernatural God. So back to our key text, Luke 131, you'll be with child, give birth to a son, and you were to give him the name Jesus. And then she asks a really obvious question in verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, how will this be? Can I tell you, if there's one question that God hears, probably more than any other question, is this question, how? And I don't think it frustrates him. I think it's kind of cool. And God hears this probably a billion times a day when God is speaking to people and challenging people and growing people and leading people and giving people vision and giving people direction and giving people challenges of faith. He'll hear it a billion times a day. Oh, how? How, God? How's that going to happen? How's it going to happen? God's not afraid of that question. Abraham asked that question. You're 75, your wife is 65, you're going to give birth to a son. How can this be? We're too old, we're past it. Moses asked the question, Exodus 3 and 10. So now go, this is God speaking to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And again, it's framed differently, but there's the question. How's this going to happen, God? And God has one answer to all of those how questions. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It still applies. Whatever it is that causes you to ask, God, how are you going to do this? His answer is the same every time. It's his answer to Mary in verse 35 of Luke 1. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary, the answer to the question that you're giving me, how, is a simple answer. It is God by his Holy Spirit going to come upon you. And Luke 1 and 37, which was our key text for the God Can series, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary, this might seem impossible to you, but you've got to go through a complete change of thinking here. Do not relate this to yourself because that is impossible. Relate it to God. And in that realm of thinking and understanding, it is possible. Nothing is impossible to God. And the Holy Spirit in you is going to bring about what God has promised for you. And friends, we've got to get out of the habit of thinking that it's our job to, to, do, to do God's job. And so often, I think in the church, we do that. We just go about doing work and think we've got to do God's job for him. But as it was in Mary's case, there was absolutely nothing that Mary could do in these circumstances to bring about what God had promised. Because what God 
requires of us is not our ability. He requires, as we know, our availability. If all God required was our ability, then everything would be explained in terms of you. It would be a natural explanation. Now, of course, God does work through our natural talents and abilities, but there's something bigger at work than simply a man or a woman's ability. You recognize that God is at work in that situation. It's exactly how it was for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke 1.24, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. She's going, this is God's doing. What a great testimony. And friends, here's the lesson this morning, and you've got to get a hold of this. When God reveals his plan to us, it causes fear to rise within us and know that that's okay. But then the revelation of God's power in the midst of what he has revealed produces faith. So let me unpack that a little. If God speaks and we're challenged by that, you know, you know what, I know this is God, but it scares the heck out of me. It's okay to confront that fear and even to be overwhelmed by that fear. But then we've got to move into a revelation and an understanding of God's power, which then eclipses that fear. And when we have an understanding of God's power and God's ability, that produces within us an increasing measure of faith. Because in that place of faith that eclipses fear, you begin to say, well, this is actually not about me. This is actually not about my ability. This is about God fulfilling what God said he would do. And when we have faith in God to do what God has said he will do, flowing out of that comes an incredible blessing. Luke 1.45, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord said to her he will accomplish. And again, if my life and your life can be explained in terms of what I can do for God, we might be nice religious people, but that's all we're going to be. But when we have the real thing, our lives will only be explained in terms of what it is that God is doing in and through us. And I know there are many, many people in this room who share a similar experience as Kerry and I have over 30 years of ministry. And that is when God places something on your heart, you go, wow, this is so overwhelming. This is so scary because I know this is much, 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 much bigger than me. That's a common experience for those walking in faithful obedience to God's call. And there have been many, many times in three decades of ministry where Kerry and I have just gone, this is so scary, but we've got to trust God in this because disobedience is not an option. God, you've, you've told us we've got to do this, and so we do, particularly when it came to planting this church. And we just got to say, God, you've placed this before us. We don't know how this is going to pan out, but we trust you. And friends, we, can, we have a choice. We can either stop dead in our tracks because we're overwhelmed by the fear or we can say, God, in spite of my fear, in spite of the understanding of my own inadequacy, God, there's no other choice other than offer you my faithful obedience. 
And in that faithful obedience, I step into that realm of faith, trusting the supernatural ability of God to do what I cannot do. And here's the really exciting thing. You look back with incredible amazement, knowing that God actually did it. And I'll let you on a bit of a secret because there's been a number of times in the 15-year journey of this church where Kerry and I have been at an event and the last time this happened was at our family fun day a few weeks ago and we were walking together along that beach looking at just that huge stream of people going out to that place where all those people were being baptised and I just turned to Kerry and, and we've, we've done this many, many times. We're going like, how cool. We did this. We did this. Not saying, how good are we? We did this. Saying, we did this. Isn't God good? And there is such a wonderful sense of fulfillment looking back knowing, hey, you know what? Everything about this has the thumbprint of God all over it because we're aware of our inadequacies. We're aware of our lack of faith. We're aware of our failings. And yet in spite of all of that, God took simple obedience and had added his super to our natural. And how good is God? Amen. So in verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. That's a paraphrase of, Lord, your will be done. God, you said it. You did it. You promised it. You will fulfill it. This is not my business. This is your business. My part of the bargain is faithful obedience to believe what you've said. And God stepping into that, I know that by your spirit, you supernaturally do what you say you will do. So as we wrap this up, the team can come back actually. If the revelation of God's plan produces fear and the revelation of God's power in the midst of that produces faith, then the third thing is that the completion of God's purpose through that process, it brings a blessing, it brings amazing fulfillment. Verse 46, then Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I love the King James says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I like that word magnify. What happens when you magnify something? When you magnify something, it gets bigger, it gets clearer. And here is a beautiful picture. When God works through us, when God's purpose is fulfilled in us, we become magnifying glasses. And people look at us and see God a little bit clearer and a little bit bigger than they did before. People look at us and say, what a big God. Mary, Mary says, my soul will magnify the Lord. That people look at me and say, I see clearly that what has happened here is God. They look at me, they see something not that I have done, but they see something that God has done. Now, given in Mary's circumstances, that did not happen straight away. We know that her neighbours didn't knock on the door uh, thinking the best that this was God. In fact, it would have been the opposite. They would have been knocking on a door thinking the worst. Mary, you're a terrible woman. But what we do know is that 2,000 years later, we are honouring Mary's faithfulness in this room this morning. What a great woman of faith and integrity. A woman who learned to trust God. And friends, I pray that that is our goal. That the end result of living a genuine Christian life is that our soul, our lives 
are magnifying glasses of God. Matthew 5 and 16 says this, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. I, I love that passage because it's kind of a bit weird. They see your good works. Actually, they don't praise us. They praise God. Why is that? Because they recognize that in our good works, there is something different about the core motivation. That our soul, that our lives, that our worship, that everything we do in relationship with God magnifies Him. That they see that there is something different about our core motivation in life, something different in the way that we handle our families, something different in the way that we go about our business, something different about the way that we challenge, face the challenges and the trials of life. And the revelation, friends, of God's purpose it might produce fear. And that might be the point that some of us are at right now. Can I encourage you, don't stand still because of fear. And I so firmly felt in my heart that there is people in this room this morning who need to hear this message. I felt this a week ago. That there are people here this morning and you are facing major decisions. There are things going on right now you know God is at work. You know God is orchestrating this. But right at the moment, you're in that place of fear and you have a choice to make right now. I'm going to stand still and allow fear to cripple me and not enter into that which God has for me. Or I will, with fear and trepidation, trusting God, trusting in His power, trusting in His faithfulness, step into that which God has for me, recognising that all He needs is my obedience and I trust Him to do the rest. And if that's you here this morning, I pray that God is speaking to your heart right now and that His word to you is this, trust me, trust me. I have put this before you, you trust me. Don't stand still. It's okay. I understand your fear, but don't stand still. Move forward and trust me. I want you to move forward into a new measure of faith, a new dimension of faith, a new understanding of my power and my ability, your, my hand upon your life to do what I have called you to do and who I've called you to be. It might even be perhaps that there are people in this room this morning who are not people of faith and you might be churched. This is not an unfamiliar setting to you. But maybe it's fear that has stopped you taking that step of faith to actually trusting Jesus fully with your life. Because there's one thing you do know that when I say yes to Jesus, it's not about yes, Jesus and uh, I say yes to you and that means I'm going to heaven when I die. That's not the gospel. When you say yes to Jesus, it means everything about your life changes. And that is scary. And we don't take that lightly. That, that disciple road is a narrow road. But in that, I tell you what, for me, at least, there's no other road. It is the road of excitement, unpredictability. It is the place of challenge, the place of development, growth, understanding, a shift of perspective, different priorities in life, different values in life. It is amazing. And it is that which makes life make sense. Can I hear an amen?
Friends, I want to encourage you as we wrap this up. When God speaks to you, just say, here I am, God. I know I don't have to do this in my ability. All you require is me being available and taking a step of faith, trusting in your ability.